SAFM. Welcome back. It's 2.33. Uh, it's time for our COVID-19 update and uh, we're looking at where things are nationally on COVID-19 uh, cases. Uh, the reports are 11,250 new COVID cases uh, that uh, were identified yesterday in South Africa. The majority of the cases are from Gauteng, 39%, followed by the Western Cape, 19%, Limpopo and Pumalanga, each accounted for 9%, Wazul-Natal and the Northwest Province, each accounted for 7%. The Eastern Cape accounted for 5%. The Free State accounted for 3%. And the Northern Cape accounted for 2% of yesterday's cases. Professor Mosam Moshabela is the Acting Deputy Vice-Chancellor Research and Innovation at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Prof, good afternoon. You know, uh, what do you make as we look at the, where, the, the place where we are nationally with COVID-19 cases? Yes, good afternoon uh, to you, KG, and to the listeners. Um, thank you for inviting me on the show. I I think that uh, overall, um, things are looking much better. Uh, they're not great yet, but much better, depending on what what metrics or, or indicators you're looking at. Uh, the picture looks uh, slightly better than what uh, we may be seeing at the moment. Overall, if you look at the cases, it's the third wave nationally, it's really coming down. Mm. Um, we, you know, with, I mean, I think we know that it was driven largely by Gauteng, and Gauteng has been on the downward trend for for, for a couple of weeks now. And so we are, we are seeing that benefit nationally. And we were worried that maybe some provinces will have a similar situation to Gauteng, but so far we are not seeing the evidence of that. And we are, we are a lot more optimistic. So these level four uh, restrictions to date, uh, especially here in Gauteng, are you thinking they're making an impact? Yeah, I mean, certainly in Gauteng, I think that, uh, you know, we can attributed to level four restrictions, but probably many other factors as well. I think what what level four restrictions have really done, KG, was to make people aware of the seriousness of the situation. Mm. Um, And uh, because of that, people started taking the situation seriously. And in as much as the cases are coming down in Gauteng, we are still seeing some uh, high levels of hospitalizations. We're still seeing uh, quite a number of cases of death. Mm. And so when you're looking at those, you know, it doesn't give comfort to the people who are still experiencing those uh, incidents. But we are hoping that maybe after the end of uh, after this week, things will also get better with hospitalizations. And even though the cases are coming down, they're still quite high. So Mm. it probably still affects a lot more people than we'd like at the moment in Gauteng. But uh, hopefully by end of this week, things will really be much better. Is there a comparison we can make uh, between how the beta variant spread across the country uh, compared to where, where, where it started? Uh, you know, was there a time lapse? Is there any comparison at all that we can make uh, between the beta and the delta variants? So not not directly from the from the signs of it, we know that uh, the delta variant is more transmissible than the beta variant. But we also know that the beta variant is uh, a little bit more uh, dangerous in the sense that it can escape the immunity. So you can have a lot more cases of reinfection, and uh, you know we are concerned with vaccines around the beta variant. 
So scientifically, those are the things, the differences that we know. But we expect Delta to spread a little bit more faster than 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 the beta variant. And an example would be, for example, if on average one person uh, is going to infect, say, four to uh, three to four people with the beta variant, with the Delta, one person is likely to to infect anywhere between five and eight people. So that's how serious it is. So I would say that when we're looking at the curves at the moment, we're looking at how steep the curves are and as they go up and how steep they are as they're coming down. And we can see that the the curve for the third wave is higher than the second uh, peak. And also it's fatter. It's a little bit broad. So it just means that we've got a a lot more caseload with the delta, with the delta variant, and remember, with the with the beta, we only went up to uh, adjusted level three restrictions mm. in, in the end of December and January. We never really went up to uh, level four. Yeah. So it could be a combination of factors, but you can see that there is a lot more caseload, a lot more uh, uh, strict measures to try and bring control to delta. So in in general, we can say that we are having to really sweat really hard for for the control of the Delta variant spread. Can we also then say that, uh, you know, we've arrested the spread to other provinces? If at this point we are here and we are seeing it go down in Gauteng, can we potentially say we nailed it here? KG, that's a very, very important question. And and I think that in the coming weeks, we're going to have to talk about that. Because on the one hand, I think we could say that uh, Gauteng was probably number three or four uh, province that got affected, but because it was the first one amongst the big uh, four provinces, then it carried a huge load. You know, in the past, we had uh, Western Cape come on first, and then we had Eastern Cape come on. Uh, KZN was affected, but it hasn't really been the, the first amongst the four. But Gauteng, in it coming first this time around, it contributed a lot, a lot of cases. And we can then say that uh, because of that, the restrictions that were introduced in order to arrest spread in, in Gauteng, other provinces benefited. Uh, provinces that were going to come on board later, like Western Cape, KZN, and others, benefited from those uh, restrictions. But what it does do, and the reason why I'm saying it's an important question, is that if few people are affected now in these provinces, and we are able to bring the spread down, are we going to have a problem later if people are not fully vaccinated? And I say this because of the lesson we learned with with Gauteng. Remember, in the second wave, Eastern Cape, Western Cape, and KZN were all affected a lot. KZN had twice the peak of uh, of the first wave when we were looking at the second wave. Gauteng was the one that was less affected. But now what we saw, because it was spared previously, we saw a devastation this time around. So it's an important question you're asking to say, are there pros and cons to other provinces being less affected compared to Gauteng and others 
in this third wave that we may pay for later on. So that's a conversation we must have. I want to quickly go to break, uh, Prof, but I want you to think about the impact of these unrest that we had last week, because some people okay. say it takes about two weeks for you to see uh, you right. know, numbers go up, especially if, after a big super spreader event, and these unrests were both in Gauteng and Guazulu-Natal. Uh, should we be expecting numbers to change in another two weeks or so from last week? We'll continue our conversation I want to take a quick commercial break. We're talking to Professor Mosama Shabela, who's the acting deputy vice chancellor research and innovation at the University of Guazul Natal as we get our latest COVID-19 update. It's 2 for SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. It's uh, 2.43. Welcome back. Uh, it's uh, time for our COVID-19 update. We've been in conversation uh, with Professor Mosama Shabela, the Acting Deputy Vice-Chancellor uh, Research and Innovation at the University of uh, Guazulu-Natal. And we're getting our COVID-19 update. By the way, if you want to ask the prof uh, a question, you can WhatsApp us on 061-410-4107 or you can uh, call us on the number 011 714 So we had that big event <laughs> Listen to me calling it a big event, Prof. Uh, last week in both Guazul Natal and Gauteng. Should we be expecting a change in the numbers as a result? Yeah, and, and again, this is another complicated one, and I want to try and see if I can explain it in, in simple terms here, because, um, it, you know, it's important that we, we understand it. You know, if you, if you, there's, there's a number of implications that the unrest have had. Um, I think that we are aware that when we have unrest like that, um, one, you know, people are drawn to what something else that feels much bigger than COVID-19, that felt much bigger than COVID-19. Mm. And, and, and as a result, you know, we, there were so many disruptions also logistically that we knew that people were not testing as they should in KwaZulu-Natal. Mm. So the numbers for testing went down. We knew that people, um, uh, even though people were not testing, we assumed that people would still go to hospital when they are sick because the proportion of the people that are positive, um, even though they may not test, we assume that those who are sick would still go to hospital. Mm. But then we saw a situation where even uh, transport logistics were affected. Taxis, uh, there was no fuel. So even like vehicles could not just travel. So that had implications also for people who may have needed to go to hospital and could not go. Mm. So we, were, we thought that we would use hospitalizations as a proxy to see what the curve is doing, even though the cases are affected. But we realize that actually, when you think about it, it will have, their unrest will also have impact on on, on hospitalization. Mm. We then thought that, okay, fine, we could look at, um, eventually look at uh, the the deaths that are recorded with COVID-19 versus what we call access deaths. Mm. You know, deaths that are not, deaths that are not documented as, as COVID-19. So we're going, we're going to have a bit of a challenge uh, distilling that. We expect now this week these numbers will start to normalize again, even though there are still uh, limitations in terms of uh, taxis and also in terms of fuel, but it should improve. Overall, the question you're asking is, 
uh, is the incident going to increase the spread of, of COVID-19? And I see that as a double-edged sword in the sense that on the one hand, you know, you had a lot of people who were engaging in gatherings uh, that could have contributed to transmission. And on the other hand, you had so much restriction beyond even level four restrictions in terms of travel and going around that a lot of people stayed home. Um, a large part of society stayed home as well, who would have been engaging in normal activity and could have been transmitting. Mm, mm, so, you. so you see what I mean? So mm. it's, it's double-edged. So on, on the one hand, I have a feeling that, okay, for certain groups, yes, transmission will increase, but holistically, we may not end up with a much more increased transmission. But we do have a problem in terms of the testing to be able to assess that carefully. Yeah. Anonymous in Cape T- in PE, sorry, wants to ask a question. Hello, Anonymous. Um, afternoon, uh, Katie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay. I want to ask the professor, right? Um, a vaccine is a substance, right, that contains a virus or a bacterium that is not harmful and injected into a body so that the body does not become infected or get a disease from the virus or the bacterium, right? That, that, that's the um, standard definition of a vaccine scientificate. Now, these vaccines that they are given to people, right, when you take it, you can still get the disease, right? So it's like I take a flu jab. The reason why I take a flu jab is for me not to get the disease of flu. Okay. No, you do get the flu, even if, uh, in fact, I got the flu two years ago after uh, yeah, but, taking but, but a flu jab. But you don't get the disease. Mm-hmm. But this, the, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Now, these vaccines, when you take it, one, you can still be infected, and two, you can still transmit it to another person, <laughs> right? And then it even goes further. It says that you can actually be hospitalized. But the only thing is you might not die. Okay. So your question is? My question is, are these vaccines or experimental vaccines? That's my question. Okay. I have an analogy, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professor. (laughs) Because I got my first Pfizer and I asked a lot of questions. So you answer. (laughs) No, thank you for that. Um, it's, It's an important question. I think we need to talk about it. And I think... I think, KG, we need to keep talking about this again and again because people are now very interested. Because mm-hmm. these things, we've, we've spoken about them before. But I think people are now very interested because they are actually now in the queue and they want to know and, and we have to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. I would say that I think that, um, you know, the, we have to understand that there are layers to, to the vaccine. The first, the first question is about... Uh, are the vaccines experimental? Mm-hmm. So vaccines are experimental when they are under trial conditions, mm-hmm. not when they are being scaled up by the state. And, mm-hmm. and that is important to understand. But a, an indirect question the listener is asking is whether the information that we know about these vaccines, is it enough for them to actually be scaled up or are we still testing them out in people and so forth? Mm-hmm. And And I think... 
we, we also have to make it clear that we are not. We are not testing vaccines in people. We we have t- demonstrated, these vaccines have demonstrated their effectiveness. And the way to look at effectiveness is at three levels. So right now, the listener is just referring to disease and, and death. But we make a distinction between uh, protection against infection, uh, protect, protection against uh, symptomatic disease, protection against hospitalization and protection from death. Those are different levels that one can actually look at. And you can see that these vaccines that we have, they increase effectiveness as you go further. So it will protect you less from infection because you can still be exposed. Uh, But when you are exposed, then your body's got an immune system that has been uh, triggered to be able to pick up the infection and to mount a response. So it helps your body to respond better to the infection when you are exposed, but it doesn't necessarily, vaccine does not necessarily protect you from exposure. Yes. Then the next thing is that once you, once your body is triggered, once the body has triggered um, the response, depending on how much the vaccine was able to succeed in stimulating your immune system, then that will also depend on whether you're going to have symptoms or not. So uh, some people, for example, you might find that efficacy or effectiveness against symptoms would be something to around 60%, but against hospitalization can be 80%, and against death can be 100%. So some people then, about 4 in 10 people, might have symptoms. And then in terms of hospitalization, but the symptoms does not mean you're going to end up in hospital. But once you've got those symptoms, some people might get uh, might go to hospital, and that's where we might say maybe two people in ten might end up being in a hospital. But that that means that eight people out of ten who um, had the same kind of conditions did not exposure did not go to 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 hospital. And so now, in terms of death, then you might find that uh, overall, uh, in terms of effectiveness. People don't die from, from, from COVID-19. These are the different levels that I think they help to bring the nuance to the discussion around exactly how we benefit from these vaccines rather than just looking at it in terms of are you protected or not. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to have to leave it there, but I think you, you gave a succinct answer. Thank you so much, Prof. I'm sure we'll talk again next week. Professor Musa Moshabela is the Acting Deputy Vice-Chancellor uh, uh, at uh, Research and Innovation at the University of Guazulu. Natal, it's time for the kids'